It's always good to be in God's house, uh, in God's presence, and the presence with God's people. And we're here to learn, learn the Word this morning. We're going to dig into the Word. We're going to see what God has for us, and we want Him to enlighten us with something new. Every time we open the Word of God, if we open it with an open heart and an open mind, then God can and will reveal something new to you each and every time. And that's what we're here to do, see what God has for us. So let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this chance to learn your word, Lord God. And we just ask that you just open our hearts and our minds and our ears, Lord God, to, to receive something new from this word. We ask that you let your anointing flow freely throughout this building this morning and just anoint the teachers to bring forth the word as you want it brought out. We just thank you again for this day, this chance, and this opportunity to serve you, to worship you, and learn your word. In Jesus' name, Jesus amen. Name. Amen. 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 Dismiss the class. Good morning, Rock Harbor. Good, morning. Good, morning. Good to see everybody this morning. We are on page, well, let me get it right. Go back over there. I missed the spot. 36. Jesus' ministry begins. Central truth is that Jesus began his ministry with miraculous signs. Um, well, let me read Mark 7, uh, 117. Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Uh, you can always tell when God is trying to say something to you, can't you? Does he, he ever make a point and he lets something come across your path over and over and over again to make a point? Sometimes it's not, it's not, a, uh, it's not necessarily profound. A lot of times he just says, Hey, I want to remind you of something. And this right here, when I turned to this and started studying this, I was like, oh my goodness. This has come up multiple times in my life within the last seven days, talking about signs and wonders, miraculous signs, and things that God desires for the church to be engaged in. Now, a lot of people will debate and argue and say a lot of different things about that. And we could, we could, we could get into that. That'd be, you know, that'd be an interesting conversation, <laughs> but for another time. But this keeps coming across my path over and over again. And, and so the lesson is going to start at the beginning of Jesus' ministry when he uh, started really the, the establishment of the church. I mean, he was the, he's the founder. And so I want to take you guys through this, and I want you guys to pay really close attention to some of the things um, that we're going to be talking about because they are pertinent today for the church still. Things that you and I should be paying attention to. There's also quite a few warnings in here. Some things that, that we're told to do. Some things that we're told not to do or to watch out for. And I think that's always good for us, especially in this day and time that we're living in. we got to be very aware, right? we got to be aware of what the authentic Christianity is. What that is. I mean, there's, there's so many different people saying that right now. I can't even... I had to actually, you may have heard me say this last week, I've just disengaged from all media sources for a while. I wouldn't say I'm fasting. That would, because if I'm fasting, then I'm, I'm, I may go back into it later. But I've learned some lessons about what you put in and then what you get out. And there are some things that as I took them away that God began to deal with me about, began to show me about 
the church and me and where I belong in the church and distractions and things that, that get in my way and, and that there isn't authentic Christianity. And there are a lot of people that are confused today about that. There's a lot of Christians that are confused about what that looks like. I always want to draw you back, and I'll say this and then we'll get started. I always want to draw you back to what the Word says. What does the Word say? What did Jesus say? What did he do? What does the Bible say the way to go is? You can't be confused on that. And it's crazy because so many people get so upset because they say, well, I look at it this way and I look at it that way. Look, we cannot get mixed up about the fundamentals. You can't. You can't get mixed up in that. And so we'll talk about that here in just a minute. So let's look at it. Uh, let's get started. We are beginning a study of the gospel as recorded by Mark, most likely the first of the four gospels to be written. It is generally understood that it was written by the man named Mark who began a missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas but did not complete it. Later, Paul and Barnabas parted ways because Barnabas wanted to bring Mark along again, and Paul did not agree. However, Paul referred to Mark as a valued fellow worker. Important lesson here. We don't necessarily have to all agree on everything. We're talking about the church. The church, and, and this is an important point to make. We all don't necessarily have to agree on every jot and tittle to sit next to each other and worship the Lord. You simply have to get the fundamentals correct. Come on, amen. So let me just share with you what that is. Death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Would you agree that that's a fundamental? It's fundamental stuff. Now, I'm not going to argue about that. And I, don't, I, I expect you not to argue about that either. We know, we know what that is. We know who to believe in. We know where to put our faith. We believe that our freedom come from what Jesus did. Amen. It's non-negotiable. And so I can't spend a lot of time on this, but I was, I was going over this and I was writing this down, writing some notes. Ryden comes up and she sees and she goes, what's non-negotiable? <laughs> and I said, that's non-negotiable. And so we had a little, little time there about what's negotiable and what's non-negotiable. And we were talking about striking a deal over her little purse and selling it and kind of what negotiating would, be, would look like. You see, there are things in ministry, in Christianity, that are non-negotiable. Meaning I can't, I'm not going to run into somebody and they're going to say, well, I see it this way, and then I'm going to stroke my beard a couple times and think, you know what, you make a good point. I'm going to come off my end, and I'm going to kind of come over to your side, and we're going to kind of meet in the middle. No, there are certain things that are absolutely non-negotiable in Christianity. Come on, amen. It's non-negotiable. Now, I have my views. I have strong views about certain things, but, um, and I, like I said, I don't have time to get into all of them, but there are issues in the Christian belief system that are debatable. You say, well, you, I see it this way. Okay. Well, I see it this way. But guess what? I'm quite certain we're both going to heaven. And I'm still going to sit next to you, and I'm still going to worship, and I'm still going to praise, and I still call you brother, and I still call you sister. Amen. Come on. You see, there's, there's, a, there's a mentality to have when it comes to uh, approaching those kind of issues. And, and I, I learned from that. I learned from uh, uh, the situation with Paul and Barnabas, and he wants to, uh, to bring Mark. They had a disagreement, and it was such a, such a, a, a large disagreement that they parted ways. You think, oh my goodness, 
That sounds awful. It sounds like the church splitting. No, because he still defined him as a valued worker and a brother. So he defined him that way. You often get people in the church today, and they see somebody or have a conversation with somebody, and you have a disagreement. I don't even. I can't, I can't even go to church. It's like, well, hold on a second. Wait. Or I just can't talk with them. Really? We can't talk to our brother and sister because they don't see things exactly the way that we do. And maybe, and maybe you might be a hundred percent convinced that you're right. Maybe you're just sold out on the fact that, hey, I have found some scriptures and I feel like God has showed me some things that separate me from that. And this is where I'm at. Great, that's where you're at. But under no circumstances do we sacrifice love for our own good. Say, well, I'm going to put love in the back seat. We're not going to really worry about practicing love. I'm right. You're wrong. And I'm going to spend the next month of my life proving it. You see, we can get mixed up in all kinds of stuff. And we have to be very careful because there are just certain things that are non-negotiable, that we know we believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I use that because it's the easiest one. And then there are certain things that you are allowed to have your view, your opinion, but it doesn't change the way I feel about you, or at least it shouldn't change it. It shouldn't change the way we see each other. It shouldn't change the way that we go to church together and that we, we unify together. I heard somebody say this the other day, and all I know is small church in Rabia. For the most part, this is all that I've experienced. So I, I haven't like had a you know a broad relationship you know or experience in these other churches and with other people in other places. But I can tell you that he said something that really struck a chord with me, and he said, "I just can't seem to see the church being able to come together in unity, even though they should. There are too many things that people." hold their high opinion on, and they disagree on, and therefore, they refuse unity. And I think that's a problem. I think that uh, that's a problem. And, and to me, the thing that is the deciding factor in all of it is the high opinion. If the church can get high opinion out of the way, that, thing, that alone, if you can just remove that, and, I, and in that case, I actually do look at it like, a lot like an equation. If we can remove high opinion, I think we're going to stand a, a much better chance of being able to come together in unity. And, and there's certain wheels that turn when you, you know, remove high opinion. I've had to remove high opinion before, and, and just for an example, like between my wife and I, she says, hey, this is the way this is. Well, no, I think this is the way it is. Usually doesn't go very well. But I found that if I can get away from my high opinion, things go a lot better. And that works both ways. High opinion never leads to anything good in anything. Sometimes you got to get put in check. And I think the church is in that place right now. Yeah, I know something the Lord's been dealing with me. And I even had a conversation about it. And I know it's a sketchy subject with the church, the Holy Spirit. And that his, oh, yeah, absolutely. Him being good. in the church and how much you should allow him in the church. And, and we got on the conversation that this gentleman's brother speaks in tongues, but he kind of lords it over him. And then, so he's got a bad taste in his mouth, sort of about the gifts and stuff like that. Right. And and it's like, man, I was like, I hate that about it, and I don't want to pressure those things on them. But it's like the more stuff I'm hearing about it, 
Yep. I, I kind of left it as an option. It's like the Holy Spirit's an option. He is not an option. Right. He is you necessary right. and to get more and, more and 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 more of whatever it is we need to do sure. to fulfill the plans and the purposes why he put us on this earth. And the right. only way we are able to do that is with <clears throat> his power. Absolutely. And I think it's good, Sean, because God's been dealing with me about the same type of stuff. And, and uh, I've got, there'll be a message at some point that I get to bring about that. But that you're absolutely right. The Holy Spirit is... He's third part of the Trinity, and so that brings us back to, okay, what's his role? What's he doing? And how am I a part of that? Yeah, I think that's good. Good point. Say you were going to say somebody. If we, if we had churches that you stood at the door, and you could only get in if you were just so righteous mm. and un, unscathed from sin. This, this is. Uh, and it's I've heard John I believe it was John say and this is this is an emergency room for the broken Amen. and for the oh, that's sinful. Good. good way to put it. If if we're not here, where else are you going to go? Exactly. Okay, so on that side, they may be everybody walks in with sin. We're none above that. Right. Okay, we're here to get forgiven for our sin, mm-hmm. as long as we believe in that one that that. The fundamental, fundamental of death, burial, and resurrection. Right. Everything else has to take a back seat to that, just short of repentance. Right. Good point, too. You make a really good point there. Go ahead. But then that high opinion, you know, and I get it. I can't see pedophiles and rapists. You know, it, it's hard to swallow. But I can't cast a stone. I, that small sin that we think so small, right? It's still sin. Yeah. It's still got a capital S, right? It don't make you any different, right? The offense is still an offense. Yeah. You know, you're not being judged by human judge, right? Or our so-called government. Court. Yeah, they define things quite different. Were they anyway? So it is. This, yeah. this is this. You're here in the emergency room. We're in the ER. That's a good way to. I, I like that. It's good. Let's continue on. So the common theme in the Gospels is the authority of Jesus. This is a good topic to get into. Some people struggle with the concept of authority. It is human nature to want to do things our own way. Can you agree with that? Okay, so we are kind of hardwired. We know we're hardwired to kind of do things our own way. We've been talking about this lately, and it's, once again, it's one of those themes that I've noticed that we keep coming back to. I'm not purposely bringing it up and trying to insert it where it doesn't belong. It keeps showing up. And so I take that as a hint. You know, not just for me to go, it's like, well, you get to tell people about how uh, we need to line up. No, I'm like, oh, man, he's reminding me again. And so I'm reevaluating and looking back and trying to make sure that I am where I need to be. Because uh, it is human nature to want to do things the way that we want to do them. Um, with that said, I said this the other day, and it's still, still on my heart. You're always going to be wanting to do what you want to do till the day you die. There isn't this thing that you're gonna. You're not gonna reach this hierarchy up here where you're in the God hierarchy, where that stuff doesn't bother you no more, and everything just kind of falls off, and you don't have any issues no more, and you've somehow been immune to sin. You're going to be fighting with it 
till the day you die. Not only that, the closer you want to get to God, the more intense the battle's going to be. Yeah. That's just the way that it is. Amen. I mean, it's just, you, you almost got to accept that. And some people would argue with that. Some people would say, no, no, that's not true. And the Bible says this, and the Bible says this. So I said, well, look, you know what? I've got 41 years of experience in my own personal life. Less than that as a Christian, but I can definitely tell you that there is no magic remedy. Come on. It's just there. We are Amen. living in a world that is tainted by sin. I live in a body that is completely contradictory to what God wants to do. It's just contradictory. It just doesn't want to do what God wants to do. Even though my spirit says, let's do it. My flesh says, really? Why? I'm sure your flesh probably says the same stuff. It's got an attitude, doesn't it? Amen. Talks a lot of trash. But as the book of Mark begins, we are reminded that first and foremost, we live under the authority of Jesus Christ. Now, that's in direct connection to you being a new creature. I don't have time to get into all that. That's in direct correlation to you being a new creature. You live under the authority of Jesus Christ. You do not live in bondage anymore. I didn't say that you wouldn't have to deal with it. Amen. I didn't say that you wouldn't have to uh, fight late in the night, early in the morning. I didn't say that there wouldn't be things that go wrong with your body and things that happen. You'd be surprised how many people I have come across in my life that were confused about that very thing. I don't, I don't understand. And I was praying, and I was believing, but this happened. Now, where is God? They start questioning his whole existence, questioning, am I even believing in, in the right thing? Well... If you're at that point, you didn't properly understand it to begin with. Somebody told you the wrong thing. Somebody said something to you that shouldn't have been said, and you grabbed it. And you believe that somehow there's this life is this perfection to be attained. We're striving, as Jim said last week, striving for perfection. But you don't attain it until you get home. Listen, the, the striving is the thing that always gets me because that's where the battle's at. Amen. That's the fight. That's the war. And you know, you talk about giving up and people giving up. It's they're, they're tired of battle. And, and you've heard me say this before. It come, a lot of it comes from misplaced faith in a God that you really don't know as well as you think you do. And that's, I've said that a lot of times. I've been saying that a lot lately. And I'm telling you, a lot of Christians right now are confused completely out of their minds don't understand what's going on don't understand that and wondering and being doubting it's all over the web i'm sure you read it doubting god and what he's doing believe me god doesn't fail no. he knows exactly what he's doing he's he's perfect in all his ways perfect he's he's uh a million and oh you know you get you my point he's undefeated and so, you just backtrack. Well, then where did it go wrong? Well, it wasn't him. It was with me. We're going to talk about that here in just a minute, a little bit more on theology. Go ahead, Jim. Uh, well, you know, we're just talking about it, what different ones believe. Well, uh, just, just, just to remember, you know, all the other churches are trying to get to the same place we are. Right, right. Yeah, good and, point. And yeah. Uh, some of them don't believe exactly the way we do. Right. But uh, still... They're not our enemy. Our enemy is, is the devil. Exactly. And he's trying to put all this stuff and get you mixed up in your mind. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, I was listening to uh, Brother Sanders this morning, Church of God, 
I mean, I'm so surprised. And uh, he, uh, you know, he said, well, at the first part, you know, he said to repent and be saved. Mm -hmm. And then the second part, he said, uh, you have to be baptized to be saved. So, and all of this is true. Mm -hmm. You need to be baptized, I believe. Jesus was baptized, I believe we did too. Sure. I believe I don't from believe, before, from I don't believe that that I'm headed just because I'm baptized and and uh, and forgiven all my sins. I don't believe I'm any more headed for heaven than him. Right. He believes the other way. Exactly. Sure. Or vice versa. Yeah. I don't believe you're going to hell because you didn't get baptized. Yeah. You need to be baptized. That'd be great. But that's not directly connected to your salvation. Yeah. And so that's a good point. I heard another church just just before that said. Well, some people get, you know, like they, they, some say you, you don't need to be baptized to eat 12 years old. Well, I, I, don't, <laughs> right. I never read that in the Bible. Either, <laughs> no, but, no, uh, I, I didn't either. But good uh, he, he did make a point. He said, for those that get saved at 12 or before, you'd have to be baptized again. Because uh, at 12, your life changes, 12 or 13. Yeah, and it's more of a heart thing, I think. Yeah. You know, and uh, you know, once your heart finally gets to that place where you understand what you're actually doing, I think, I think if if a ten year old fully understands what he's doing or she, either way, yeah, they're gonna be saved. But you do have to be saved. You have to repent of your sins. Yeah, absolutely. Be baptized because if you don't, you're just a wet sinner when you come up. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's really good. There's a lot of wet sinners around. <laughs> that's good. Okay, let's keep going. He called us to repent and believe his kingdom message, and he demonstrated his authority to do so by performing miraculous works in healing and deliverance. We will examine Mark's account of these miracles. Well, let me say this too, before we get into the whole conversation about miracles and ministry and, and, and wonder signs and things like that, there are a lot of people that will say that today those things do not exist. I am a, now I'm not just bathed in history, but I am absolutely about if you want to know if something is factual or where its placement is in society today, just simply go back and do some homework and look at your history. You can see it. I believe that about the Constitution. I believe that about the Bill of Rights. I believe that about the things of our government. It's real easy to go back and look at the Constitution and see what it says about certain things that are going on in our nation. We know that they're not right. I, I like reference. I love reference. And so we see what the Bible says, but people always say, well, it died with them. But I got so much History that proves that it didn't. Amen. Proves it. That proves that it didn't die. It's still alive today. It's still possible when people come together in faith and believe collectively, God will still do miraculous things. He still will. There's history to prove it. And we can start digging. I got, I got all kinds of material that I've read over the years. Um, I loved reading books. Um, well, it was Smith Wigglesworth. But the book actually wasn't written by Smith Wigglesworth. It was written by the, I guess you'd call him a liege or whatever you want to call him. He was his assistant. And it was eyewitness accounts of the, of the assistants that were with Wigglesworth while he was effective in ministry. And they said, this one individual said, he would, they called it a, um, I think it was called a sick house. And it, actually what this place was, it was, a, it was not a hospital. It was a place where they sent the sick to die because that was the last place they were going to see. So they all knew that they were sick. He said, he would go in and he told me, wait outside. He would go in and start praying for people and they would start walking out with their beds. 
because they put them on the floor. Eyewitness accounts. No, I mean, you're, you're going to be hard-pressed because the Bible talks about if you want to validate something, you need to have witnesses. So why are we going to, why would we doubt witnesses? Why would we say, well, that went true, he lied. Okay. Why would you lie about that? And not only lie about it, but why is that lie continuing through history? Why? Why is that, why, how is that possible? Well, you just go back and do your homework on that. And it doesn't surprise me at all that the Holy Spirit would, would do something like that. He's looking for an individual to do that through. We, we know and understand that the Holy Spirit has been around, obviously, since we've seen him come to earth when Jesus left. And he said, wait for, wait for the Comforter. Well, there were some really dark times that the church went through. Dark times where the Holy Spirit was absolutely gone. Now, was he still here? Yeah. But nobody even knew who he was. And do you realize that, the, 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 that Azusa Street Revival, historically, the Holy Spirit has really just come back on the scene in the last 125 years? A lot of people didn't know that. A lot of people think, they think, well, he's just been around, been doing all kinds of stuff, and we just don't know what it was. No, actually, he came back on the scene about 125 years ago, and then it really got hot when it came to Western culture. There's, you, you think that, the, that what we experience around here is just normal stuff. You don't realize that the Holy Spirit, when it come on the scene in America, there were many people, even abroad, who'd never even seen anything like that before. I mean, just it never. It's like, what is this? And people start going back through the Word of God, and they're like, oh, <laughs> this Holy Spirit, he's doing stuff. So if you want to know if he's real or not, just go back and do your homework. Look at your history. Look at the people who actually stood in those, those ministries and look at some of the, the things that were done and the witnesses that seen these things actually take place. It's validating uh, to 100%. Okay. Let's read our scriptures, page 37. John, I think you can do it, bro. All right, I'll get it. It's Mark, man. He got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mark 1.4. John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And there went out unto him all the land of Judea, Judea and they of Jerusalem, and were all baptized of him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. And preached, saying, There cometh one mightier than I after me, uh, the latches, latches of those or of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and unloosen. I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John in Jordan. And Straightway, coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opened, and the Spirit, like a dove, descended upon him. And there came a voice from heaven, saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye, and believe the gospel. Now as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for there were, they were fishermen. fishers. Uh, Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them at, 
as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And there was in their synagogue a man with unclean spirits, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who art. I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace, and come out of him. And they were all amazed, insomuch that they questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For what authority commandeth he even the unclean spirit, and they do obey him? All right. Authority. Good. Amen. Section 1, John prepares the way. As Mark began writing, he made his subject clear. He was recording uh, more than history. He was recording the gospel, the good news of salvation through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Mark laid out Christ's identity and ministry. Jesus, a Greek form of the Hebrew named, named Joshua, was God's chosen name for his son because of its meaning, the Lord saves. Christ is the Greek form of the word Messiah. After about 700 years earlier, the prophet Isaiah foresaw that God would send a forerunner of Christ. Mark cited Isaiah's prophecy in verses 2 through 3. John would prepare and make straight a highway. So, what was, we, we, if you know, if you've read anything about John the Baptist, then you know kind of what his role was, right? He's the forerunner, he's, he's uh, making the highway, he's, he's crying out, saying, uh, there is one coming that is our Savior. He was, he was there paving the way. So, one thing that you gotta you gotta know about his role is his role is a lot like the church's role today. What was he saying? John the Baptist was saying, "Hey, there's a Savior that's coming. He's coming. He's gonna come. He's gonna he's gonna fulfill the prophecy." He was telling everybody this and ruffled a lot of feathers, made a lot of people mad. Um, he said, "He's coming," and so it's the same thing now. But it's the next coming. Not the coming in the physical form. Now it's the coming in the spiritual form. And who is to tell them about that coming? Us, church. And if the church doesn't do that, then what was our purpose again? We're here to tell people that Jesus is coming back soon. Amen. He's coming back. You better be ready. You got to get ready. Be ready. And, and I think about that parallel. That parallel. Think about the parallel of the kind of attention that John the Baptist got. What kind of attention did he get? Like, they didn't like him. They couldn't stand him. They couldn't stand what he'd done. And so, I mean, he was beheaded. So, as far as the church is concerned, do you think you're going to be welcomed? No. If it goes anything like John the Baptist, then you're going to be met... Every time you mention Jesus, you're going to stir some stuff up. You start talking about truth. You start talking about authority. You start talking about the things that he established on this earth. People are not going to receive you very well. Amen. But isn't, isn't that expected, though? I mean, should we not expect that? Should we not expect a bit of uh, confrontational situations? I know nobody wants to be confrontational. I get it. I totally understand. But it kind of comes with the territory. And so, this is one of those things that, you know, people would, they, they've often said, no, you know, if you, you get close to God, 
and God will protect you and he'll cover you. I believe in God's protection. I absolutely do. But I also believe in a world where things happen to people that that love the Lord. I'm, I'm, I'm one of those ones that, you know, I was at a I was at a Gideon meeting one time, and there was a tornado, and it hits the ground, and, and it didn't, they was praying, and they prayed that the tornado wouldn't hit us, and it didn't, it didn't hit us, but it destroyed a lot of other places. And so the, the thing was, is that we prayed that thing away, but it destroyed a bunch of people's houses and hurt some people. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm confused about where you believe, do you believe that Christians got this shield around them? That if we pray correctly, then nothing happens to us, but everything happens to them? No, that's not right. And so you have to, you have to understand the reality of the situation. And this, that's where I think a lot of Christians get lost in their faith. They plug their faith into the wrong thing. That God is somehow going to do something um, on, in the realm of, of outside of reality to make sure that everything goes right for you. Man, this thing's a battle. Does God favor you? Absolutely. Does God, does God hold you in high regard? You better believe it. He loves you with a love that you and I cannot understand. But as long as I'm living on this planet Earth, and as long as I live in this body, there's going to be a fight. There's going to be things I'm going to have to fight against. Um, I got a nail in my tire the other day and missed his tire. Did I not pray enough? <laughs> You see, you see the theme. We got to watch that. And oh, I've never realized how much to understand this book. I have to read other books. Very good. I'm That's a good that point. point. Yeah, now. you do some homework, study. I've heard, uh, heard it mentioned more than once. Fox's Book of Martyrs. I just downloaded. Mm-hmm. I will listen to it. But to, to pretty much, we have no clue on what they had to go through. I don't, and I want to understand that more. Exactly yeah. what Paul went through in the Christians, and yeah. and That's good. how good they point. had suffered just for Christ, and. And we, you know, get someone in the office we don't agree with. It's like, oh, it's the end of the world. We're all going to die. It's over. <laughs> and, it's like, and it's like, no, it's just some dude in the office. Don't worry about him. We still got Jesus. Oh, and it's like, just just throw it off, man. We got to keep go. our eyes on the right stuff. But, yeah, yeah. And that's one of the books I'm going to start digging into. But church history is another one I want to learn into, too, just to, to understand this more fully so that I can tell someone about it yep. in a better way. So next time when Absolutely. I have that conversation with the brother about the Holy Spirit and how he's optional that I, I don't do that again. No, I understand. No, that's good, Sean. Thank you for that, brother. Okay, let me end this paragraph. It says, John would proclaim that Jesus was coming soon and would call his listeners to prepare their hearts to accept him. Now, there's a question here. It says, why is it important to know the truth about who Jesus is? Someone weigh in on that. Why is it important to know the truth about who Jesus is? So that if you don't have Jesus, you don't have, yeah. you don't have a Savior. That's good. That's good. We can't point them to Jesus if we don't know who he is. Okay. And well, can we can we agree this morning that a lot of things come from yeah. what Jesus did? Amen. Holy Spirit, right? We're gonna say if we're gonna agree with we're gonna agree with Jesus, and we're gonna say, yes, I believe that there was there 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 was a man named Jesus who was the Son of God. Well, that when you when you adopt that and you say that's mine, there's a whole host of things that you gotta adopt with it. So you can't say that that happened and then say, but I don't believe in the Holy Spirit, because that just don't make sense. No, you don't believe you don't believe in the Holy Spirit, you don't believe in the 
very first book. <laughs> yeah. the, I mean, you don't, right. you don't believe, you're believing in the, the three. You, you don't believe yeah. in any of it. You right. might as well, I mean, yeah. like you said, it's fundamental. You don't have it's, it. You, you right. better start over. And it's in a lot of times, and, and this is the point that I want to make, that the, the theology has to be correct about who Jesus is, who he was on this earth, who he is now to you. That theology has to be right. And that's the non-negotiable theology that we're talking about before. That's got to be something that is unwavering and does not change. Your argument is not about who Jesus was and what came with him. And that's where the Holy Spirit gets brought up often because if I'm going to say that, I'm going to talk about those things and, and talk about who Christ was and who he means, what he means to me, then there should be no shame in saying that I believe in speaking in tongues. I'm okay with that. And I'm okay with you thinking I'm crazy. Because you know what I've noticed? I've noticed this. Nobody thinks you're crazy for believing in Jesus. Nobody thinks you're crazy for that. Very, very, very small percentage of people think that you're crazy for believing in Jesus. But they think you're crazy for believing in the Holy Spirit. And that's where a lot of Christians have separated and unpacked that. They're like, you know what? It's more acceptable if I just talk about this side of it, but I don't really talk about that side of it. You better be careful because now you're walking a, a tight line of, of just total denial. Because you can't unpack the Holy Spirit from Jesus. Uh, we know that spiritually because it's the Trinity, but in your theology, you cannot unpack those two. They got to they be together. I got to keep going, guys. I'm sorry. I got to keep moving. Um, John the Baptist was, uh, came preaching in the wilderness, urging his followers to turn from sin and be baptized. Oh, that's funny. Is it, do you think that's changed any? And whose role is it to say that today? Church. Right. We're, we're talking the same stuff. So John's message was widely received as people traveled from Jerusalem and throughout the Judean countryside to be baptized by him. John's appearance resembled that of the Old Testament prophet Elijah, who also wore a garment of hair and a leather belt. Furthermore, John existed on a primitive diet, converted evil, uh, confronted evil rulers, and reprimanded Israel for corrupt religion. Well, he was, he was a mouthpiece. That's what he was. He was a mouthpiece. And he stirred up trouble by what he said. And, and I'm, it's, it's, once again, it's hardwired into us. I don't want to start no trouble. And I'm not saying to go out and be unwise. You need to be wise about what you do and what you say. Absolutely, you should be unwise. But once again, I, I bring that back to the, the confrontational point. There will be confrontation if you are preaching the word of God. It's just going to be. And people are going to disagree with you. I don't believe that. It's okay. You can, you can believe whatever you want to believe. I just am supposed to talk about it and put it out there. If you choose not to believe it, that's fine. That's okay. And so... We have to make sure that we are continuing to be a mouthpiece. Despite the conjecture by some that John was the Messiah, he declared he was unworthy to even untie the sandals of the one who would come. Humility. Would you agree that that's humility? We see his perspective, though. Once I'm, I'm, That's the parallel. He's got the same perspective that the church has got to have. It's not about us. It's about him. Amen. I'm, there's so much to learn from John the Baptist's life and how it parallels to our life in, in the church today. So much to learn from that. So if he says, he says, I'm not even worthy to, to untie his shoe. Now that's a pretty humble point of view. The church often kind of gets into themselves. They get into thinking that there's something and they got this thing figured out. And, you know, we've, you know, everything's fine. We're okay. I'm well taken care of. It's nothing but humility from the church in the way that we see what he's done for us. Because there's no way, I mean, without it, where, where are we at? Where are we at without the cross? Huh. We're bound for hell. There's nothing left. 
So he deserves nothing but total reverence from us. All four Gospels record John's declaration that Jesus would baptize believers with the Holy Spirit. So he said, I'm, I'm not baptizing you the way he's going to baptize you. He's going to baptize you a different way. Um, and so we know we're talking once again about the Holy Spirit. So let's go to part two. Ministry begins, or ministry beginnings. i got to get into this. When Jesus was about 30 years old, he went from Nazareth, where he had just spent most of his life, to the Jordan River. There he was baptized by John, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. It said it was like a dove. It didn't say it was a dove. <laughs> let's get the theology right, all right? And often the Holy Spirit, I'm telling you, this is the way that people seem. They have like this image in their mind of God on a throne. He's up above everybody. Somehow got a rod. Jesus, he's somewhere in the middle. He done a good job on saving us all. Fantastic. Thank you. And then there's the Holy Spirit who is a bird. <laughs> People's perspective. That just the first thing that pops into their mind is like, oh yeah, you know, the white bird thing. It's not a white bird thing. He's the third person of the Trinity. And not to be looked at in vertical view, where God's at the top, Jesus is in the middle, Holy Spirit's at the bottom somewhere. And that's where I think he gets optionated often and chosen as an option, because he's the third part. I don't really have to believe in him, do I? Yes, you absolutely have to believe in the Holy Spirit. It's from left to right. Okay? <coughs> where, does Jesus, where does Jesus sit right now? Okay, you got it? He's at the right hand. He's not below. As of right now, biblically, I mean, uh, the earth is his footstool. We're below. Not Jesus. Not the Holy Spirit. you got to get that. So that, that's, that's some theology stuff there. Okay. Um, the Father confirmed his son's identity publicly by declaring from heaven, You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. All three persons of the Godhead are mentioned. God the Son, Jesus, was baptized. God the Holy Spirit descended like a dove. And God the Father spoke from heaven. So what do we have there? We have all three that are present, right? Amen. Proof. Proof of the existence of the Trinity. And, and taking all three as a unit. Not one, not two, three. As a unit. And the importance of the Holy Spirit. And that brings up that if when people say, you know, I'm not sure about this Holy Spirit. Look, if you're a Christian... That should be something you are seeking God about. When I was first saved, I had absolutely zero idea about who the Holy Spirit was. I knew what I was seeing in church, and it just blew me away. I would say, yeah, I was scared. <laughs> I was scared. I just said, I don't know what this stuff is. There's no way this can be. There's no way this can be a part of, of the one who I just accepted into my heart. Well, here's the thing. I started, you know, Misty was helping me with my theology. She said, you got to pray and ask God to reveal himself to you in this area. This is something you need to pray about, and God will show himself to you. I actually started praying about these kind of things. I started praying. I said, look, if you're real, if the Holy Spirit's real, then I want him. And this didn't happen all at once. There were some things that had to take place for me to understand fully why I needed him so bad. And so did it finally happen? Yeah, it finally happened. But it came with some studying. It came with some asking. I think there's some guilt, even in the, in the Christian ranks. Some guilt. Well, I don't, I, don't, I don't speak in tongues. It's okay. It's okay. You're, 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 not, you're, you're not an outcast. But I encourage you, if you don't, if you've not been filled with the Holy Spirit in that way, ask him. 
I'm not even asking you to ask him to fill you. That's not, that's not even what I'm asking. I'm asking you to ask him to reveal himself to you Amen. in that way. See, God is, God is so good about the way that he handles his people. He didn't just say, look, if you don't get filled, you're, you're not a part of us. This is the way I imagine it. He, like a father, he comes and he puts his arm around you. He says, hey, it's real. Let me, let me talk to you about it for a little while. Let's talk. Don't you feel more comfortable about something you're about to get into if you talk about it for a while? I believe that's what the Lord wants to do with the Holy Spirit. He said, let, let me just, let, let's just talk. Let's just talk for a while. Let's talk about this authority. Let's talk about this power. Let's talk about these signs and wonders. You don't have to jump in head first. Some people do. And that's fantastic. But I think at times that sets an unrealistic bar. Well, you have to be just like them. No, you don't. No, you don't. Holy Spirit's going to, he's going to deal with you according to your heart. That's how he's going to deal with you. And so I'm, I'm, I'm simply putting this out there because I believe that's the way that God wants to approach it this morning is, look, if, if that's not something that you have been engaged in, then what I'm asking the church to do is simply ask him, hey, show me what this is about. Show me. Just do a little knock. Hey, I'm just going to knock on that door, and I'm going to ask you to show me something about this. The church has got to start getting back to the use of the Holy Spirit, but I don't think it's going to come in a service. I don't think it comes in this blast like, like we had seen. As some of you are older, you've experienced some of those things. Maybe the Church of God, you've experienced some of those things. We're in a place now, I don't think it's going to go down like that. I think some people need some knowledge. They need some biblical knowledge about who the Holy Spirit is. And that he's not here to make you talk in a language that you don't understand. He's here to comfort and to love you. He's here to, to bring you closer to the Father. That's what he's here to do. So I think that's something that we, we've got to start doing. Okay, i got to keep reading because I've only got like five minutes. Sorry for the hands. I, I apologize. Okay, it says, Immediately the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan. When we undergo times of testing, it is valuable to recall that Jesus was not exempt from temptation. Rather, he defeated temptation by using the word of God. Great lesson to learn, right? Amen. Great lesson to learn. But uh, the... We, we got to kind of back up and understand the, the first lesson is that the moment he got the Holy Spirit, the moment he got it, that's when his ministry actually began. All right? You got to get that part. And number two, the Holy Spirit led him into a wilderness. And that's hard. That's, that completely blows people's minds because they're like, no, God would never lead me into that. Oh, you better look. You better look at it. I didn't say he was gonna. I didn't say he was gonna do anything bad to you. I said, but he's gonna lead you to some places at times that are absolutely rocky. And why would he do that? Why would he do that? Because you lean into him. You lean into him. You know, we've been talking a lot about hardwiring lately. You're not hardwired to lean into the Father. It's not your. It's not your wiring. You're wired to rebel. That's the way you're designed. You're set up to just say, no, I don't want to do that. But. When we get the pinch, or we get uncomfortable, or we get in a situation where um, we're not normally at, what does it make you want to do? Hey, I need you. Isn't that what we do? We lean into him. Sometimes your situations have been allowed to happen to bring you into a place that he needs you to be with him. Amen. And without it, it's impossible to get there. 
I see too much of the evidence in the Word of God, too much evidence in God's Word that tells me that the Holy Spirit will allow things to take place in your life to challenge your perspective, to challenge it, and to get you to a place where you are broken and praying and seeking. And sometimes, quite frankly, we need it. Amen. We just need it. Okay. I'm almost out of time, but I'm going to keep moving. Because of his stand against the sin of King uh, Herod, Anubis, who had dis, uh, divorced his wife and married his brother's wife, John was imprisoned and later beheaded. But John had fulfilled the task to which he had been called. Jesus announced that the time has come, referring to the time set by the Father for the plan of salvation to be put into action. When Jesus called his disciples, he first called Simon and his brother Andrew for their work of fishing, asking them to join him in fishing for men and women. They immediately left their fishing and became his disciples. What did they do? They obeyed, right? We've been talking a lot about that lately, obedience. But here's the thing that you have to understand is that he pulled people from all walks of life. He pulled people from different uh, social statuses, which is a perfect lesson for us to learn. But that's exactly how God works. Amen. He doesn't take the people, he doesn't take the elites. <laughs> Government takes the elites. Yeah. <laughs> Just a little, I had to throw that in there. God takes a motley crew of men, he puts them together, and they're all from all walks of life and all different social statuses. He said, hey, we're going to put this thing together, and you guys are going to be the start of the church. And that has always been the way that he's done it. It's very ground level type of stuff. That's the way God always works. Now, I would love to see him just, you know, come into you know, your life and my life and just kind of zap things. Amen. He didn't work that way. I, I, I can attest to some great things that he's done for me in my life. He zapped some things over time. But that doesn't, whether he zaps something in or out of your life doesn't define who he is. That's not the definition. The uh, we're defined by the relationship and where you stand with him in your relationship. Do you have a relationship? It doesn't matter if you've got a miracle on your ledger. Does that make sense? It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if he hasn't answered your prayer yet the way that you wanted it answered. That doesn't matter. What matters is who he is and the relationship that you have with him. So I'm going to end it out with this. Jesus then called James and John, another part, uh, pair of brothers. Both would become part of Christ's inner circle of disciples, along with Peter. James would later be put to death for his faith in Christ. John would write a gospel, three epistles, and a book of Revelation. It is, it is possible that James and John came from a wealthier family than other fishermen, as Mark mentioned, their uh, father's hired servants. Jesus was not making haphazard choices. He had a perfect plan for his disciples. He would be training them to carry on the work of the church after his crucifixion and resurrection. Diverse backgrounds. Uh, you're sitting next to somebody in church this morning that has a diverse background. Probably quite different than yours. But that's what this whole thing is about, though, right? This isn't about forming a church where everybody comes from the same social background. Because that wouldn't make sense, and we wouldn't be able to actually reach the people we need to reach. we got to come from different backgrounds. And if you come from a different background, you're probably not going to agree on everything that the person sitting next to you believes. And that's okay, too. We just got to agree on the fundamentals. I do have a minute here. I'm going to go to part three. Let's read this. So Jesus took his four newly chosen disciples to Capernaum, a city on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. There he entered the synagogue to teach. Those who heard him speak were amazed. It was evident that Jesus' authority 
came not as a result of merely quoting other teachers, but directly from God. Jesus' authority was evident also to the forces of the demonic realm. This is the point that I want to get to. As an evil spirit asked him, have you come to destroy us? Well, I mean, if you want to know who he really was, don't ask the ones who believe. Ask, ask the, uh, the ones that were constantly he was faced with, which was the demonic. And to me, this is a more of a telling uh, history of who he was. You have this evil spirit. And he says, have you come to destroy us? See, he knows who he's talking to. Amen. Like, I know who I'm talking to. And he said, the evil spirit recognized both Jesus' authority and the future judgment of all spirits by calling Jesus the Holy One of God. That's the title he got from the evil spirit. He said, you're the Holy One of God. I mean, I don't know how you can't believe when, the, when evil spirits are like, it's him. That's the way they responded. The evil spirit recognized Jesus' divine identity. Jesus commanded the spirit to be silent and depart, causing the spirit to exit with a shriek. I'm really out of time. So let me say this. When we start talking about authority, you have authority because of what was passed on through Christ to the early church. The authority because of what Christ did on the cross. The authority still exists for the church today. Amen. It's not something that passed. The authority is still here today. So what, what should be one of the functions of the church today it's battling evil spirits. That should be on your, your normal time that you have with, with God. You spend time in prayer throughout the day. You should be taking authority over demonic spirits and principalities and things that can hinder your prayers. You have the authority to do so. And one of the things that the church has got to come back to in this day and time is they have to come back to the place where they understand that they have authority. Not, not, not just the fact that Jesus had authority and somehow, you know, it got kind of lost in the mix. You have to understand that you have authority. If you're a believer, you've got authority, and you've got the authority to take, take authority over demonic spirits and devils. You've got the authority. And so the church has got to come back to the place where we are exercising the things that we have access to. If you have access to it, you better use it. I'm out of time, guys. God bless you guys. Thank you.